How can you become an influencer when you literally have to start from scratch? And how can collaborations with others help jumpstart the road to influence for your personal brand or for your business? Well, you'll find out a real life case study of how someone went from nothing to something and completely reinvented her career and became a major influencer in her space in this next very special episode of the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast with Neil Schaefer. Welcome to the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast with Neil Schaefer, where I help marketers, entrepreneurs, and business owners grow their businesses using innovative marketing techniques, leveraging the concept of digital influence throughout digital and social media. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 193 of the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast. Welcome to the show and thank you for listening. When I revamped this podcast, it was actually in episode number 143, which I published on January 7th. I have successfully this year Wow, we've gone a long way, huh? From episode number 143 to episode number 193, this will be the last episode of 2020. And I'm really proud to say that I was able to do it to get 50 episodes published. It wasn't 52 episodes. I got off to a shaky start, but I'm glad I stayed the course and have stayed consistent. And through these 50 episodes, I think a lot of you that uh, listened to me back in the day, you've come back to my podcast, which I thank you for, but equally, I think that I've gotten a lot more new people to my podcast, and I want to thank you all for joining me on this never-ending journey into the world of digital influence in digital and social media. So today, we have a very special guest And after this episode is done, well, when you listen to the end, you'll hear a very, very special announcement. Today is a someone that's become a dear friend since I published The Age of Influence, and she herself is also the author of a book on influencer marketing. She is also a professor at a university, and she's someone that I just have the utmost respect for. She looks at influencer marketing from a completely different experience yet we both have come to very, very similar conclusions. Her name is Amanda Russell. She is the author of The Influence Code, which just came out in early Q4, I believe. I think it was the first week of October, maybe the first week of September. Anyway, it is a great companion to the age of influence. So for those of you that want to dig deeper, definitely check out The Influencer Code. Amanda is currently a professor of influencer marketing at the University of Texas, Austin. Previously, she was at UCLA, and she's also a fitness influencer. She is also an Olympic athlete. She has just an incredible story and she's gone through so many chapters of her life, but she's kept everything really real. And I think when you hear her story, you're going to understand the lessons that you can use for yourself as well as for your business on how to really climb the influencer ladder and really make waves in a big way like I said, for your personal brand or for your business. So without further ado, here is today's interview with Amanda Russell. All right. I'm really excited to introduce today's guest, the amazing, well, the amazing author of The Influencer Code. 
and the amazing, just too many things to talk about that we're going to go into detail in this podcast, Amanda Russell. Amanda, welcome to the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast. Thank you for having me. It's fun to be on this end of the podcast. So, well, we'll wait to the end to make that announcement, Amanda, but we're obviously very excited. But yes, if there's, I've had a lot of guests in this podcast, but if there's anyone that is very similar to my approach on digital marketing, on influencer marketing, that also teaches at the university level, that also has written a book on influencer marketing, it's Amanda. So we have a lot to talk about, girl, but I want to start. So Amanda is someone that I've known for quite a while. She's currently a professor at University of Texas at Austin. She previously was at UCLA. I know you're doing some exciting things with some other even more famous institutions that maybe we'll get into. But I've known Amanda for several years. We have actually never met in person, but it almost seems like we've known each other for a while. And I'm looking, I, I had to find this, Amanda. I'm looking back at this email. Well, it was actually a LinkedIn message, like back in 2017, where, you know, I'm going to be in LA all week. Let me know if we can get together. And, and I couldn't make it. And she's like, oh, well, you know, let me know when and I'll, I'll fly out to meet you. And I'm like, whoa, who is this, Amanda? This lady's pretty intense. And then fast forward to 2020, where I reach out to her because I wrote my book. And she's like, damn, you beat me to the punch. I wrote a book too. And that's led into this amazing collaborative relationship. But that's the Amanda that if you for those of you that have read The Influencer Code, it's obviously an excellent book and comes highly recommended. It's a it's a great actual companion to The Age of Influence because of the, the different perspective that it brings. But reading both of them, I think you're going to be way ahead of the game. But getting to know Amanda more, there's a lot more to her than just influencer marketing. So Amanda, I guess we got to turn the clock back. You're actually an Olympic athlete. Well, I, I think that's really the place to start. And I still haven't heard the whole story. So... Before you got into influencer marketing, I think this is going to be an interesting story for the audience as well. You were an athlete and you, which Olympic, did you actually participate in Olympic or were you on the team or? Yeah. I was just going to correct that. Yeah. No, I, I came to the U.S. actually from a small town in Canada on a running scholarship to division one. It was a division one track and and cross country running scholarship and, and running was really my, my ticket to out of where I was from. And it was by, it was, my every my everything for a long time and I made automatic qualifying for Olympic trials while I was still in college and on the lead up to that I broke I I, I shattered my femur at the neck and Oof. that was like a game changer for me I, I view the Olympics very differently and I view a lot of sport very differently and I view life very differently now having gone through something like that and then seeing the athletes that do what goes on behind closed doors and so that was before Beijing Olympics that's what I was training for and then the London Olympics I did go to in a very different capacity and I went as the spokeswoman for Livestrong and I oh, wow. covered the Olympics but I did it I, I wanted to do an angle that was very different than most and it was the angle that some of the greatest athletes and actually, especially in sports that are really demanding on the body, we will never see because they don't get there or they're not on on that day because you're, you know, your body is so finickety that, and so I started doing some stories on some of the, 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 the great athletes or the great, the, the stories, the traumatic stories behind some of the athletes. But That's yeah, amazing. So, so that was 2008 and, and that changed my trajectory for the, for the better. I was at the time it was the, the biggest failure on so many levels. I worked so hard 
to get out of where I was from. As you can gather, I'm slightly intense. And or I'm <laughs> everybody slightly is an understatement, but, yeah. but but that's your DNA, Amanda, because you have that Olympic caliber training background. That's that's your drive. You I I see how you apply that this professional athlete perspective to to business, right? Which, which to Great me is analogy. really refreshing and exciting. <laughs> well, it's you, it's but you think that because Neil, you are very unconventional yourself and very intense in certain ways as in 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 ways as well. And I feel like people either. I have to warn them usually, and then they either get it or they don't. And when they don't, it's like, I can tell her, it's like, no, I'm overwhelming to them. It is there. There's, there's no real gray area. There's no real like, yeah, "Yeah, she's okay. Like (laughs) no one ever is like, oh, she's nice. She's okay. It's like, it's like one extreme or the other. (laughs) So, So, and and that, that's helped me and it's hurt me. (laughs) So so you're probably listening to this thinking, okay, Neil, well, well, okay. is, Is this podcast about Olympic athletes? No. Because if we were to write a life story about you, well, you have your Canadian upbringing, A, that's going to be chapter one. Chapter two is your athlete, the Olympics, and maybe chapter three is, is, is Livestrong, which must have been an amazing experience for, for an amazing organization. So then you move into YouTube and you become this major influencer before we were even talking about influencer marketing. Definitely one of the earliest stages of influencer marketing in social media that we know of. So Tell me what that transition was like and then life as a, as a fitness influencer. Yeah, that's a great question because everybody thinks that was the transition was oh, uh, maybe it wasn't. To, to YouTube and it was, it definitely wasn't. It wasn't even a thought after my injury happened. I lost, I, I, I amongst other things, my career, I, I lost, also lost my U.S. visa, which also mm-hmm. included my health insurance and my, I was sponsored by Nike. I lost my sponsors. I lost my coach. I lost my like entire community. Basically, who you think your family was like gone in a matter of a week. Damn. And I remember thinking, like, and this, the, and I'm telling, I tell the story because when I look back at my life, especially what happened, with, that was a really huge, huge transition for me. When I look back, I realize that influencer marketing was what helped me transition. And I didn't call it that at the time, obviously, and it was not even a thought. Yeah. But that was the most poignant example of using influence to shape your career. And what I did was, because I had nothing and I wasn't even American. So I knew that I didn't want to go home, especially to Canada, especially to live with my parents after four years of like everything I had done. I just felt like I'd already failed on the biggest level. And that if I had to go back and live there, they would have all been right that I couldn't make it. And so I decided that if I couldn't go to the pinnacle of the athletic world, I had this really big dream of New York City. And, mm. and by way of my parents' favorite babysitter, the television. So now that, apple. yeah, now that Olympics wasn't there, I, I wanted to go to New York. And I remember people saying like, good luck. First of all, you don't even have, you're not American. You don't even have work experience and you need to get sponsored by a major company. And that, and I did, you're, they're right. I didn't have work experience. I had a connection. I had nothing. So what I did was I, I figured out, like I narrowed my focus down to like, Cause you can't focus on everybody. I was like, Hey, who are the three big, big firm? Like I need, I needed a label that big firms that could sponsor my visa. And then I, I figured out who the gatekeepers were at, at these, at these firms. And I, I didn't have experience, but I had a lot of Nike shoes and a lot of Nike apparel. And so I sent each of the three firms a box of my shoes, like used worn out Nike shoes with a, a personal note about how I had all of this work ethic and dedication and discipline and drive that I would give solely to their company because I could no longer run. 
And my number one pick firm was Miller Brown, which is now Cantor Group, which is a massive market research consulting firm. And they, they basically brought me in because they were like, who's this girl with the, the shoes? And they ended up hiring me on the spot at the end and sponsoring my visa. And that was my, my gateway too, because I couldn't just go and start a YouTube channel in New York and all these things. Like I needed health insurance. I needed a pay. I had no, no one to help. Like I needed a paycheck. I need all these things. Of course. I couldn't even get a cell phone because I, I didn't have any credit history. And New York was very, I ended up living, oh, that could be a whole book in itself. Like the stories that I have from trying to, from figuring it out there by myself are just unbelievable. Like, <laughs> yeah, and that's the most amazing city to, to be able to do that in as well. Be just so competitive and cutthroat. And I loved it. Yeah. I was like, finally, I don't feel crazy. I have a few people <laughs> like me. <laughs> So that actually got you into then, well, I, I'd say marketing and advertising, right? Yeah. Working at, at, at that type of firm. Yeah. And knowing that that wasn't like, that wasn't, I knew that I didn't want to work for them forever and that I wanted to do something that I, I knew that I had this, like, there's a, there's a something and I didn't know what it was, but I was like, I know this isn't forever, but I know that I need to build the infrastructure. And I think there was a big lesson there. And I, especially now that I teach students where there's this whole mentality of like, follow your passion, follow your passion. And I'm sorry, I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I even like, how do you even know what your passion is? I think there's a difference between following your passion and being passionate about what you do. Mm. And sometimes in order to get where you want, like the long-term goal Oh, I'm extremely long-term goal oriented in terms of like, I have to know what the bigger thing is and work backwards. And with a lot of big goals like that, you have to do a lot of things you don't want to do. And sometimes you have to take steps to the side or what looked on paper, like going backwards. I had to do that. And I think we get so fixated on how we look on paper and all in our ego. And I think that it, what happened to me with the athletics was that I was, I was stripped of any ego. To, to the point of like, just, there was nothing, there, there was nothing like, there was nowhere to go but up. And that right. taught me to sort of like, okay, now you got to get back up and, and, and you know, the drill, but even with, with, with athletics, like it's not fun. So you do getting up at 5am to hammer out mile repeats is it, in the dark sucks and, and being, you're tired all the time. You're not getting up. Cause you're like, I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I'm saying, what do I want to do today? And I just want to go out there and I just want to just. <laughs> hit that rain and hit those miles hard. Like, no, it sucks. But, but you do it because there's a bigger goal that is driving you so far, so forward. And it's the same in business. And so I did, I had to do a lot of things in New York that I necessarily want to do or like to do because, because it was, it was part of building the infrastructure for a longer term goal. I, I have the same mindset about things and it's a very humbling. It must be extremely humbling for you. <laughs> But yet that's also giving you, because you went through that, it's, it's giving you an appreciation for so many things that people take for granted. 100%. It, 100%. And it's uh, like, I, you know, that and the fact that there needs to be this bigger, and I, that sounds stupid. And I used to hear people saying things like bigger purpose and, you know, like all this, like self-help, that's culture of self-help and whatever. And, it, and I, it kind of was like, oh, to, to me, uh, it's not, that's not, was not my thing. But I have to, to say that one big takeaway is that purpose drives people. It's not, it's not happiness. I think we're chasing. I think it's purpose. And when I was running now, now looking back at running, I'm like, so what? So you, you won the race. So you broke a record. So you, and even sitting, how many podiums have you been on? And I remember my dad said that to me. He was like, you're acting like after the injury and I refused to go home. And he was like, you know, you're acting like you're dead. You're not dead. 
like you've put all this energy, all this, like all this, you can now give somewhere else. And you know what the coolest part about this is, Amanda, is that with running, like how many podiums have you been on and how much does that matter right now? Nobody cares tomorrow. Nobody cares. It doesn't touch anybody. It doesn't help anybody. So take all that energy and do something bigger with it. And that stuck out that now I, it almost is. It's like, you're training for what? Like, what are you, what is the bigger goal here? So, and I think tying your work to that is astronomical in, in terms of like people who succeed. So you go from company employee, yeah. tell us about this, this, you, what, what was the YouTube channel? What, what happened there? What, what, what was the so, spark? Yeah. The YouTube channel was, um, so part of the, uh, and I'm so sorry. There's like, yeah, I literally see the guy behind you. All days. He's a, there's a, there's a, freaking he's blowing he's just blowing literally blowing oh leaves, he's yeah. weighing now and oh I'm waving okay good job sorry about that so so my youtube channel started as a business school project so business school was the next thing part of the uh, part of the training plan for me and then i in order to transition i also needed like the whole visa thing too was like so i i did an mba for reasons other than most people do an mba meaning that i was like oh that's a great way to stay in the city and get a visa so that i can now pursue other things and i need connection and i and so i did that and then my thesis was along the lines of you know you can have the best product service or idea in the world but if you don't have an audience that cares and trusts you it doesn't matter and youtube i hadn't actually even heard of youtube when i started business school and I was on a plane and somebody, the person next to me was telling me about this you, YouTubers that they follow. Um, in, and one of them, they were called Shay, it was Shay Carl. He was, he was a really huge YouTuber at the time. Still is, I think. And, and how they had these cult. And I was like, wait, YouTube? Like, I didn't understand it. And I started looking and they were getting these, these people. It was just, it was really just like dumb and dumber style comedy, really raw. And I was like fascinated by the, like the, the comments at the communities that they were building. And I was like, Oh my God. And this is before cell phones had cameras even, but I remember thinking, Oh my God, if I like, they're not even, they have no content. Like what, like, can you imagine if you actually like had content rather than putting the cart before the horse and thinking, thinking of a product or service, what if you could just build the community? They'll tell you what they want. And for me, especially like being as like poor all the time as I was, was, Oh my gosh, this is a business that needs no capital to start. I just need to invest in a flip cam. So I went to Best Buy and I bought a flip cam and I started I flip cams. They were so awesome. Right. <laughs> and I started filming and I chose at the time I chose, um, and I was making money on the side by doing a bunch of God, a God laundry list of things because uh, I couldn't work legally. So, so one of the things that I was doing was I was always training. So I was training to get back to physical, like I had to learn to walk again. It was a whole situation, but at the time I still couldn't do any impact. So I was, I had started road biking. So I had met this entire group of people in men in central park at five in the morning that were road biking. And through that, I was progressing and progressing and they were getting really interested in sort of the ways that I was kind of formulating my workout plan. And so when I was thinking of what to do my channel on, I was like, why shouldn't it be just getting in shape like a runner without being able to run? And so that became my content and the YouTube channel really was sort of my starting point for social media, for influencer marketing as sort of my track record looks like it is, I should say. So you started the YouTube channel and then you had at some point brands reach out to you for collaborations. Yeah. 
I did. Yeah. All, I mean, that was, that was like in the beginning, right? They started to send products and you're like, Oh, this is great. But I guess that was like sort of the beginning of when that's really started. At first I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, this is, do they know, do they know that who I am? Meaning that, do they know how small this operation is? <laughs> but knowing you today, I think that what you got out of those collaborations is less, I mean, the money I'm sure was there, but it was more the networking and the people that you met that you still keep in touch with today that are, that are business leaders of their own, correct? Yeah. I think what I got out of it more was less the people that reached out to me and more the ones that I reached out to. Mm. So I was obsessed with doing collaborations and I knew that that had to be the, the way to grow the audience. So I reached out to Shay Carl and he was in Los Angeles and it was him. And there was a couple others that were basically in a, had an operation in a garage in Venice beach. And they were named themselves Maker Studio and they were, I don't even know what to call them, like a production house for YouTube videos. Yeah. And so I um, wanted to, to collaborate with him. And so I offered to fly out there to, to, to meet him and collaborate. For, yeah. to, of course. Of course. I mean, this is, this is like my emo. So um was like, how do I get him to collaborate with me? And at first he was like, I was like, well, uh, I watched some of his videos and he was talking, he's always making fun of himself for not being in shape and whatever. And I was like, I'll train you. I'll train you. I'll I'll come out there and I'll train you and all your YouTube buddies actually. So you just all get in the backyard and you don't even need equipment. I'll come and I'll train you. All that I ask is that you put it on your channel too. And so he did. And that was when I saw the spike and obviously like marketers would be like, well, that's very different audience. Yes, it is a very different audience. And so there was their fallout. Yeah, there was a lot of fallout. There was a huge spike, but then there was a lot that stayed. Yeah. And then I started trending because of the, the spike. And then it just started, started. And then Brian, I think Brian Seacrest then saw the channel and he named it as one of the, you know, next big fitness stars. And then I got a sponsorship investment from Google YouTube and it really started spiraling, but there was a lot that went on in between. And that one of the things was like how I pitched so many people, which was one was maker studio. So when I was out, uh, when I realized what was going on there, I hated filming and editing. I I still do. I can't, it just makes me crazy. And I was like, I'm never going to be successful at this. I can learn it. I know how, but uh, it's important to know how, but if I hate it so much, I'm never going to really make this consistent. So maker was great at filming producing. And I said, well, you collaborate with me. I'm a business school student. I know all about marketing, so I can help you run the business like that side. If you can help film and edit my videos. And at first they said no. And then I realized the problem. And that was that I asked for it. I asked for something and it was all about me. And so I thought about it. I kind of felt like I had just lost. I remember flying home and being like, I can't believe they turned me down. It was just dead. Like it was like getting broken up with. And so I thought more about it and then I repitched them and was like, you know, what are they, what's in it for them? So I, there's very, there's a lot of cachet, especially in production for like having the LA, New York, like bi-coastal offices. And I lived in New York and they were based in LA. And so I offered to be their first New York, if they would give me a producer, film editor, I would be their first New York office. And that was appealing. And Mm. so they did one of their trial of New York. And so out she came. And we became the first maker office in New York City, which grew quite astronomically. And Maker eventually sold to Disney wow. in 2014 for a, a very, very high price tag. And I then moved on and I moved from being part of YouTube. My whole goal with YouTube was to build something you own because you don't own anything on YouTube. And so through that, I pitched Trium Entertainment 
which are the creators behind many shows, but a lot in the entertainment fitness space. So Biggest Loser, Amazing Race. Mark Coops is still the, I think they changed their name now, but he's, I think he's still the, the lead partner there. Uh, older British man, really smart, been intelligent forever. And, you know, having done Biggest Loser, he, I mean, even at that time was like, you know, I couldn't pitch a show like Biggest Loser today because it's got to be like, you have to have digital following and I need to learn this. And I was like, great, I'll be your, I'll be your guinea pig. You partner with me. I've got an audience. I know the audience. I also know marketing. If you guys are become my business partner, we'll build out a subscription model. And this was also before people were ordered things online, hardly. Right. So to put a credit card into a computer to get something non-tangible was like a big risk, but we did. They became my 50% business partners and we built out a full subscription model with add-on with every, I mean, bells and whistles. It was a community. It was a lot of different things. And it was more than anything, it was an education beyond an education <laughs> because nothing like that, there was no widgets, there was no templates, there was no Squarespace. So yeah. There, you know, Amanda, in that five or 10 minutes, there were so many awesome takeaways, best practices. Number one, you didn't wait for things to happen. You proactively reached out and you reached out to other influencers. And I think those that have become very influential, there's this aspect of collaborating with other influencers. And I'd say the same for businesses as well. And and you did that so well. And that, that seemed like your primary strategy. You also decided early on that you're good. Your sweet spot is the content and the marketing. You're not into the technical editing. Whereas those guys, yeah. they, I mean, that's because the content, I mean, I'm not going to say their content was weak, but I've seen a lot of early YouTube success stars they don't have to be male, but a lot of my know are male. They were just really good or they hired really, really good technical editing. So they were able to put up a really good looking show, really professional looking. You know what I mean? Right. Without necessarily right. having the content like you had. So that's, that's really an amazing success story. You know, the, the name of this podcast is maximize your social influence. And I don't talk to a lot of influencers about how they became more influential. So for those of you that have been waiting for that, I think there's a lot of great takeaways there on what you can be doing. And it's all about collaborations. And, and well, we have our own collaboration store, but let's, let's keep moving forward on this journey. So at that point, I mean, you're a rock star. And, and now I know how the Hollywood bit, and I know you're, you're doing stuff with producing movies and stuff as we speak, but let's move on then to the next stage, which is university. And I believe at some point you became a professor at UCLA. And once again, you're in Austin, Texas. Yeah. I mean, people say the same thing about me. You teach at Rutgers, yet you're based in Orange yeah. County, California. What's up with that? So can you tell me, you know, how that came about, why you decided to start doing that? Yeah. I, and I is there anything in between that I missed? There was, yeah. So I was at UCLA and I lived in Los Angeles. It started off, my YouTube channel started in my name because I wasn't really, I had not really thought through, I'm kind of like a trial by fire, just go. And then they started knowing your name. And when I was, when Tria and I were working together, I was like, okay, now this is becoming something bigger. I don't want it to be me anymore. I don't want to be in front. And I was, I became very insecure, almost like chip on your shoulder about being the girl in the leotard doing YouTube, like being called a YouTuber and, and, and kind of the derogatory. And the, I, I, I was not comfortable in my own skin with it. And I wanted to, I wanted it to not be me. And so I wanted, so the agreement was that we would change the name. Okay. We changed the name to fit strong and sexy, which was, we did a folk, like we pulled the audience and they basically chose the name. But after that, then I wanted to start putting, swapping in. I built the brand using a lot of brand ambassadors. So I built a certification program and had instructors with big followings, awesome. um, get certified in the method. And then they would then also get residuals from, from selling it. And I wanted to start picking some of them to be the faces on the, uh, of the videos. And that's where we kind of came to a head. Because at the end of the day, and this was a really a, a great lesson, was that people build 
the relationship, they they build it with you. And so if you start swapping out people, you lose. I already, there was already some fallout with the name change. And then at one point, so, you know, Tareem and I had to have a conversation and probably one of the best conversations that I had in my manager as well. So my manager is Will Hobbs, who is probably one of the biggest fitness managers in all of our time. He manages, you know, Jane Fonda, Tone It Up, everybody of every generation. And Will was in on that conversation and he was like, you just need to decide. You need to either own it and just like completely give into it. And like, we'll give you like a team we can follow you around, blah, blah, blah. And every moment of your life, like it's got to be narrated and, or, or you need to get out completely. And that was when Tone It Up was take, completely taking off and they got their own reality show and Will was directing that. And he's like, but you, he's like, that's what you need to be doing. And I just mm. cringed at the thought and I just couldn't like, see myself doing that and I really wanted to do something something that I was proud of and I, for, even though that there's nothing to not be proud I understand I, I, I should be careful what I say it was for not for me that was not for me and so I decided that I wanted out completely and that I wanted to start an agency I really loved the marketing angle and the business angle and the building it and all of that stuff and scaling it and building the community but I just didn't want to be the face the talent Mm-hmm. So I, I started an agency because when I was building it, there was no one we could ask. Like we could all tell stories of like an almost nervous breakdown level of like, oh my God, customer hour customer service. And there's women that are on exercise programs and diet programs and all oh, it was not, not. And so, but in the fitness space, all the magazines, all whatever, everyone was starting to build up live strong. They were all starting to really build up these online platforms and they needed somewhere. There was no specialty. So I was like, I'm the specialist. I've done this. So that's how I started the agency. And then by that, I started speaking a lot on it because I, because like I said, there was no expert, no, there was no expert. I started just like kind of walked into being an ex, an ex self-proclaimed expert on it and advising a lot of different people and companies. And one of them was uh, a professor at uh, UCLA and he, he saw me speak somewhere at some, I don't even know, some conference or something. And he was like, you need to come speak to my class. Nobody's doing this in business school. This is what they need in business school. And so I did and it went really well and we kept in touch and he was like, you know, we just need curriculum like this. And he's like, would you want to co-create a curriculum? You know, I can pitch it and he would have to champion it, right? Because he's a tenured faculty. And that's when I learned, again, he's the influencer. How do you, how do you get into a system? You need that, you need that, you need that in. And he really opened that door for me. It's always, it's a lot of almost every big thing that's happened. It's always sometimes a matter of just one person opening a door and and then there's also all those that could can open doors and don't, which really drive me further, actually. But um, yeah, he opened that door. I got in with UCLA. I had to start by co-teaching with him. And then they see how you do and they review and it's like a process. Mm-hmm. And then that's that's how it started. And then I was off then I was off to the races in academia. <laughs> Amazing. And it's funny, you know, my own start at Rutgers was the same way. It, it was a tweet. Hey, really? you, should, you should consider, you know, teaching over here at Rutgers. It's like... Okay. I had another, I had some dude from Finland reach out to me, you know, Hey, do you want to come over and teach in Finland? I thought the guy was joking. And then, you know, a few months later, I'm out in the freaking cold. Well, you're, you're used to the freaking cold being where you are in Canada, but quite an experience for the Southern California native. Oh, that's Um, right. Yes. Yeah. But that's an amazing story. So fast forward and we finally get to 2020, but I, I think you'd all agree, my listeners, that it's an important story to tell. And there's so many, so many takeaways there. And, and, you know, every, we forget that anytime you want to make a sale, if you want to get income, you have to work with people. 
and the more collaborative. I wanted to say one of the other takeaways from your story of the movie studio, well, the video studio was, was WIFM, right? What's in it for me? And you always exactly. have to think about that when you want to collaborate with other people or when, when, when I, normally this is probably what you teach as well, but when brands want to collaborate with influencers, what's in it for them, right? It, it, not always. necessarily just money, right? So, so fast forward, you moved on to Austin, Texas. University of Texas, and I know you're doing stuff in academia, but I want to make sure we get into the influencer code. So what, so tell us about, and, and by the way, uh, influencer code came out in, was it September, October, the official publication? October. Yeah, yeah. Middle of October. Yeah. So it's, it is only been out for two months in case you haven't heard about it. Press pause, go to Amazon, buy a copy, come back, listen to the rest, but tell us about how the influencer code came about and just a little sneak preview for the listeners. Yeah. The, the influencer code. I didn't set out to write a book either, but I went, when I'm developing the curriculum for, for my course, I couldn't find a book, any kind of text that was, that was current enough that talked about it in a way. So the way that, and ironically, your book then came out this year as well, but this was like a couple of years ago and there was no book out there that was, that was, that had, they were all talking about influencer marketing as though it was transactional influencer advertising and it was synonymous with social. It was like a, a tactic underneath social media, um, marketing which is, it's, I view it very, very differently than that. And there was nothing out there like that. And anything that was, you know, there was an element of agency bias to it or some sort of bias. There wasn't like a credible source. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there wasn't a credible source that was no bias, like with no bias, yeah. that, that also would be timeless in a sense, meaning that wasn't, it wasn't about platforms. Like influence is not, influence didn't develop with social media. It's been around the beginning of time. Yeah. So how do we create, I was like, how do I create a text that's not going to be extinct by the time it's published that will be, no matter if you pick up this book in 20 years, like the principles there will still apply. So I decided that if, that I would just write the book and that's how it came about. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, you know, the influencer code, tell us why you wrote the book. So really the book I'm assuming is, is half a culmination of your own experiences as an influencer, but also half as a, as a professor and, and speaker and agency owner, I'm sure you have a lot of experience there as well that you put into it. So, you know, what are the, and, and you've read the age of influence. So yeah, I love the age of influence. For, well, thank you. Well, to, for those that have read the age of influence, how would you sort of talk about the perspective you have in the influencer code that, that is it's different? Yeah, it's, it's complimentary. It's set up differently because it's set up actually as though like chapter one is lecture one, chapter two is lecture two. And so the beginning of the book is more like shifting how you think about influence. And then you get into more of the tactical, strategical kind of stuff. But I try to do it in a way that you'll see examples and cases of everything from like big, big name brands and brands and uh, companies who've done it, B2B brands, B2C brands, and then also the small startup entrepreneur and also just individually, because we are all brands. Unless you just want to be nobody and not anonymous, we all have a press. It's called your reputation and right. you want to build that. So in order to do that, you need influence. How do you do that? And so it starts from like, there's examples of personal things, but I would say it's about, there's probably fewer actually. My next book, maybe there'll be more. There's probably fewer examples of my own stuff and more of just different companies. Especially I really love, I really love giving examples when people are like, well, we're not a sexy fashion or fitness brand. We're not Instagrammable, like or something that's like more of a B2B brand or mm -hmm. something that's just a really unsexy product or service, I think is the most powerful. That's when I think influence is, is more powerful. I mean, 
because we automatically go to like, oh, fitness and fashion and jewelry and whatever and video games. And that's, that, that that's easy. And we, social media advertising, great. But, but real influence cases that come in, I just think are fascinating. The more, the more unique the product or the more like internal it is. It's so funny because we have such a similar approach and I'm with you. It begins with sort of re-educating everything you know about influencer marketing yeah. because, because marketers and, and businesses have been misled. But also it was the feedback that I got from a friend back when I published my first book in 2009 called Windmill Networking, Understanding, Leveraging and Maximizing LinkedIn. He goes, you know, Neil, I really love your book. I think if you want to take it to the next level, you want to have like case studies, like an MBA book, right? And I love how your influencer code is filled with case. And I also tried to do that with, with my own book as well, right? In fact, I had so many freaking case studies. I couldn't publish them all because of the That's way awesome. publisher. And so I had to create a blog post. These are the 16 case studies that, that didn't make it. I'll it didn't make link, it. Yeah. I'll have to link it up in the show notes, but, but yeah, that, that's really incredible. And I know that, you know, you have a hard stop coming up. I'll be completely transparent. So I want to make sure we get the word out. So Amanda actually reached out to me. You know, I, I reached out to Amanda after it's like, Hey, you know, part of my influencer marketing for the age of influence was reaching out to other influencers. And so Amanda was there and she's like, Oh my God, I'm writing a book too. And through that conversation, we began a collaborative relationship. And from that, and I've sort of teased it, but from that, we decided to launch a podcast that yeah. I am very excited about. Man, I know you're excited about it. it really, I'm very it, excited. And it, it really comes down, everybody, to the conversation I've had with you all listening to this podcast, which is you need a platform, right? And this is the conversation I have with Amanda. You need a platform. It's either yeah. going to be photos, it's going to be video, it's going to be audio, it's going to be text, right? And if yeah. you're a personal brand, if you're a business brand, you're going to have a website, you're going to have a blog, and, and personal brand as well. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to make impact, I've talked about audio and video. And when I had the conversation with Amanda about building this, this new platform for the book, you know, video, it's like, well, it, part of it is you've been there, done that. Part of it also is, you know, that video takes just this extra layer of, of, of time and resource, what have you. And when I described, as I've described you in previous podcast episodes, how a podcast is actually really doable and in its own way, really sexy. I know it's a weird word to use, but it's, it's attractive for many, many different reasons. Amanda bought in and, and we did it. And we are going to be launching approximately one week after this episode. Well, we might as well say Wednesday, January 6th. So stop what you're doing again. So hopefully you've already bought uh, the influencer code. Now pause and go to the School of Influence. This is going to be the name of our podcast. Amanda, why don't you introduce what the podcast is going to be about? I think I've said enough. Just make sure you subscribe. Yeah, it's, it's going to be very different from this podcast because it's really going to be laser focused on the concept of influence, how it applies to business, and really talking to uh, brands, businesses, and business leaders that are extremely influential in what they do and what are the actionable takeaways that we can learn from them. Amanda, you can fill in the rest. Yeah, you I didn't know, get too did, much away. <laughs> you no, know, you did a great. No, you did a great job, and you were one of the few people that I probably would have done a podcast with. Given my YouTube experience, I was pretty burned out from from that. But this made sense, and I said that if I want, if you know, in, in listening to various podcasts, we were both really on the same page about wanting to get real. Like, okay, so what makes you influential? What makes the brand influential? Kind of takeaways from it, and so. I think that podcast is really, it's not about social media advertising, which I think is going to break a lot of myths when they, people listen to it. It's not about that yeah. at all. It's really kind of studying, like, how do you build influence as a brand or as a brand? I, I use the brand term brand interchangeably for a person, individual or a company. And I think that's important 
important. It doesn't matter what field you're in. I was talking to my brother about this and I think he's a good, I'm making this transition because he's a great audience. He's the physician and social media to him is like nails on a chalkboard. It's the whole marketing thing. Like he's very, very different brain. We have very, very different. We get along really well. And he was like, I totally told him to subscribe to the podcast. He's like, well, I don't, yeah, well, like, I'm not sure why I'd be listening to. And so I explained him. I was like, do you, I was like, do you have a reputation? Do you want to be known for what, what do you want to be known for? Then that needs to be it. And whether you like it or not, if you don't have a presence, then people are just going to develop it for you. And you know what? All of the reviews that you don't control are going to be the first things that come up. And you know who the, is going to review the, you the most if you don't have any effort in there is the people that didn't have a good experience with you. Amen. So, okay, good luck on that if that's what you want. And all of a sudden he's like, okay, hey, I got subscribed. Got it. So, <laughs> but it's like, that, it's, it's, you know, in this, you know, one of the things that we ask is, is it a genetic trait or something that can be learned? And then I think some people, it's like, it's like athletics. Some people do have, are born, they're just born a certain way, right? And they're more gifted, but it is absolutely something that you can learn. It's like training for leadership. And so if you want to have an impact and whether that's in your personal social life or whether it's in your business, this, this is what we get to the bottom of. And I think we, we've chosen, we've been very selective of who we've got an incredible lineup of guests. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've been, what we've been cognizant of is doing something different than a lot of marketing. I love a lot of marketing podcasts, but we've chosen very different guests than any other marketing podcast. Agree a hundred percent. So just as, the influencer code is an amazing companion to the age of influencer. Maybe the age of influence is an excellent companion to the influencer code. No matter what way you look at it, I believe the school of influence is going to be a really, really great companion podcast to the maximize your social influence podcast, different perspective. So far we have a policy of 100% interview, but we're interviewing some amazing people yeah. that you Very will not inspiring. hear on any other podcast. We're not, we're not starting with all these people here in other podcasts. We're really starting with a, a wish list of people that wouldn't it be great if we could interview them to find out more about them. Yeah. Uh, and, we're and so really inspired. It's almost a mix of like motivational. I felt like some of our interviews are just very inspiring as well. So I think we launch, I don't know if we are, we are disclosing who we launch with, but. Um, oh yeah. Why don't you say it, Amanda? Who we're, are we launching with? We're, well, in true athletic style, we're launching with, with Andy Roddick. And for very different reasons than his tennis career, but more what he's been able to do using his platform and sort of his perspective on, on, on influence again, which he was one of the first people to say, like, when you told, called me an influencer, I shivered, like I shivered, like I was so like, that's not me. And, and, and yet now he's having read the have, have knowing what the perspective, that's where I think it's is important. Shifting the perspective, how you think about this will change the way you think in general. So I think it's very higher purpose, Neil. I would agree a hundred percent. This is how we're contributing to world peace in many ways. I know I'm going to put all this in the show notes, but Amanda, where can people find out more about you and the influencer code? Just my name, amandarussell.co. So two S's and two L's and .co because somebody took .com. Dang. Okay. Well, we'll have to deal with that later. But Amanda, thank you so much for being a guest and for sharing your life story and just a lot of great takeaways and everybody School of Influence launches in a week. Make sure you subscribe and also make sure you buy the influencer code. Amanda, thanks again. Any last thank words you. or is this a wrap? No, I just want to say thank you for having me. And the big takeaways, I know this is a it's, a, it's a marketing podcast, but I think that there are some marketing is psychology and mm. that some of the biggest takeaways that I have, if I, if I could give any, and I mean, I'm sure there'll be thousands more in 10 years, but we're just the idea that they're like, influencers, whatever it is, opportunities are so much 
easier to achieve if we go after them. Too often we think that opportunities are so far out there and that they are, oh, that's not me. I remember because I, and I, I, what really resonated in realizing this was somebody told me when I was getting into that I wanted to shift my career into marketing and I was like, I'm going to be a thought leader. I'm going to whatever an influence. And this was not too long ago, by the way. And they said, they said, well, if you want to like do a TED you want to do that. That's like, that's like going to the Olympics. And I was like, bingo. So what's the, and bingo, what, what, and it, you don't realize how easy things are to get. If you can just figure out who are the influential forces that need to understand, that need to happen. Is are those people? Are those companies? What are they? And what are they motivated? What motivates them? If you can figure that out and how to position yourself or the opportunity that way to get them excited, there's nothing you can, can't do. Uh, the things that we can achieve and the, the big brands or the big like pie in the sky ideas are so achievable if we just go after them. That's and stop waiting to be like, well, when I get to this or if I was that or if I knew this person, just go. I, I guess the best way to end this podcast then is just do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> all pun intended. <laughs> all on very on point. <laughs> That was uh, such an awesome uh, way to end the pod. Thank you so much, Amanda. Best luck. I mean, obviously, we're going to be in touch. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And Amanda, we'll see you again soon. All right, everybody. I really hope that you enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. As you can hear, even though we come from two completely different backgrounds, we have a lot in common in terms of our mindset. And yes, it is true. Our podcast which is officially titled The School of Influence Podcast with Amanda Russell and Neil Schaefer will be out. It already is available on at least Apple Podcasts. It's slowly being added across the podosphere to every single podcast app out there. And we already have a trailer episode which introduces what the podcast is going to be about. It's going to be 100% interview. And just to give you an example just to give you a description of the podcast so you get a feel for what it's going to be about. Why do some people or brands command cult-like followings while others struggle to stay afloat? Why do some people rise to social media stardom while others can't get anywhere? The answer is influence. But is it a generic trait or something you can learn? What is their influence derived from? And what are the takeaways that we can implement in our business and or personal branding? So where the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast is really geared towards digital and social media marketing and looking at it through a lens of influence. The School of Influence podcast will be interviews with business leaders, thought leaders, authors, athletes, what have you, all based around the topic of influence. So it's going to be just as the uh, Influencer Code is a great companion to the Age of Influence, I'm hoping that the School of Influence podcast will be an excellent companion to the Maximize Your Social Influence podcast. And I hope that everybody who is a listener here will also go on over to Apple and subscribe to that podcast as well. We'll be on weekly. Our official launch, I believe, is January 6th, 2021. Our first interview is actually going to be with former number one U.S. tennis star, Andy Roddick. So that gives you a feel for the type of caliber guest uh, we're going to have. And you're going to hear a lot of people that you might not hear on podcasts. We're really trying to reach out to leaders wherever they are that have a great story about influence that they can teach us so that we can help teach you. All right, everybody. Well, Obviously, hopefully you'll begin to listen to my voice twice a week, both this podcast and that podcast. Regardless, I want to uh, thank you again for continuing to subscribe to my podcast here. 2021 is going to be a great year. Make sure you 
keep subscribing. If you haven't subscribed, press that subscribe button. We got a lot of great content as I begin to really flesh out more and more content for my next book. This podcast will be the first place where I share all that information and all the wonderful interviews with marketers, entrepreneurs, and business owners like yourself to help you truly maximize your social influence in 2021 and beyond. So thank you for joining me on the journey. Continue to keep that seatbelt fastened because this show has just started. We'll see you all again in 2021, wherever you are in the world, make it a great virtual social day. Bye-bye everybody and sayonara.